God in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, found on page 858 of the Bibles in the benches. It's a very familiar psalm. It's good for us to hear it this evening. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making, the, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, it is all good and fine to profess that you believe in God, and it is all good and fine to profess that you believe in God, especially as we have been able to define Him the past couple of weeks as we've begun our series on the Belgic Confession of Faith. But it's important to understand that Knowing the true God is not a matter of us figuring things out on our own, nor is it a matter up for debate about who that God is and what He might be like. You see, the true God has revealed Himself. And because the true God has revealed Himself, we are utterly dependent on Him revealing Himself in order to know anything about Him. And of course, as we'll see, He has revealed Himself in a couple of ways. Two means, two manners by which God has showed Himself to us. The first is by His creation and His preservation of that creation and the government of the universe which He has made. And then also, also He makes Himself more clearly and fully known to us by His holy and divine Word. But I just want you to note at the outset that if you do not accept the truth of God as He has revealed in His creation, and as He has more fully and clearly made Himself known in the Scripture, then everything that anybody says about God is completely up for grabs and arbitrary. I mean, this is why so much of religion today is absolute nonsense. Because it's not based on any objective revelation by God of Himself to His creatures. It's based on vain speculations and debates about who He might be. It may be based on some so-called sacred book that was really some 
ripoff of the Scripture in some ways or some crazy expression of someone's imagination or hallucinations or even worse, demonic influence in their minds. These things are of human origin and absolutely unreliable. And if you don't believe in any objective standard, like the creation which God has given and the Word which He has given, then everything's up for grabs. And of course, to us as people who say, well, that's obvious. I mean, we're going to submit all of our minds to the revelation that God has given us. Let me just remind you, the implication of that is that we don't have the right to pick and choose those things about God that we like, that He has revealed to us, and, and to discard those things that we don't like or that make us uncomfortable about Him. It's either all or nothing. One of the most scathing critiques of the Christianity uh, that abounds uh, today throughout the world is that people who use the Bible pick and choose different parts of it, whatever would fit their fancy, right? And we're just not going to get into that anymore tonight, except to say that when we're talking about God revealing Himself, it means we take it all. And we are utterly dependent on Him to know who He is. We know Him. He does reveal Himself by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Look at those three words. Creation, preservation, and government of the universe. What do you mean the universe? Well, everything that exists. Okay? Everything that's out there in the world. Anything that you can see or conceive of that has any correspondence to the real world. Anything that you can see, the thoughts even that you have as a product of the mind that God has given you. Anything out in the creation that exists is the stuff that we're talking about. It reveals something about Him. First of all, the fact that He created it. Everything that you can see exists because God made it. Right? Not only does He make everything, but He preserves it. He holds it together. The fact that it still exists, the fact that it didn't implode, the minute that He made it is His direct preservation and His government of the universe. The fact that things go the way that they do, how things run, this is all by the direct hand of God and it reveals something about Him. The Scripture says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. His handiwork displays something about Him. In the past, Hebrews 1 said, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. God is the Creator of all things, and therefore the stamp of God's glory and of His character is on all of the creation. In Him we live and move and have our being. Not just that He made us, but that we have our holding together, our substance that doesn't implode and just go every way, but that the Lord sustained us. The fact that everything has an order that everything holds together. The stamp of God's character is on that process in the universe. The Son, Hebrews 1.3, sustains all things by His powerful Word. The fact that anything holds together is a reflection of the character and the power of God. 
Not only that, but He directs everything that happens, right? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. All the peoples, Daniel, Daniel 4.35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does whatever He pleases with the powers of heaven and all the peoples of the earth and no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? When you consider all that has been made and when you consider how everything holds together and how everything runs directed by the hand of God, it is a display of Him. His power and His majesty. And that's the key to understand, first of all, about how God speaks. When we're talking about the universe and Him holding it together and how He directs everything, we can't learn everything about Him from the creation. There are certain things that it displays and certain things that it does not display about Him. Psalm 19, as we read, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. They display the glory of God doesn't tell us everything about God, but it does teach us, for example, that a God exists and that He is glorious and almighty, doesn't it? And brilliant and intelligent and creative and beautiful, like all that He has been made. Romans 1.19, Paul is reflecting on this thought. What may be known about God is made plain to humanity because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible qualities, specifically, Paul says, His power and His divine nature. The fact that He's God and that He exists and that He is almighty and He can do whatever He wants to do. This is clearly seen, Paul says, being understood by what has been made. There may be a lot of things that people cannot understand about the true God from the universe, but one thing they can't understand is that He does exist and that He is God and that He is all-powerful and He could do all of His holy will. Not only that... Paul says, but people can know by the creation which God has made and is holding it together and is directing it for the ends that he desires, they can know that God is righteous. And they can know, they can have a basic sense of what is right and what is wrong and what he expects of them. And that what is right and what is wrong actually reflects the holiness of his character. They know, Paul says, his righteous decree. Now, of course, what do people do? What does the natural man do when he considers the universe? He doesn't accept all of that revelation and bend the knee to the true God. Rather, he suppresses the truth that is obvious to him in his own wickedness and he denies maybe the existence of God or he turns him into a different God that isn't the true God. But it doesn't mean that God isn't speaking clearly through the creation. I want to remind you of this when maybe you're in discussions with somebody who doesn't believe in the true God or maybe tries to deny that God exists and when you tell them that the creation is a reflection of God's glory it, think about the, the glorious design of the universe and doesn't that uh, show you that there is God and they come up with might I just let you know paltry arguments against that argument and they will say that that doesn't the, the nature the creation doesn't prove that God exists and doesn't display His glory uh, I just want to let you know that you shouldn't be shy by asserting that again. Because what's going on is, it is true that God reveals His glory in the creation. It does objectively reveal the glory and the power and the righteousness and holiness of the God who made the universe and sustains it and directs it for His holy ends. And the person that you're talking with knows it in their heart, even though they might reject it for their own wicked and moral reasons, having uh, been born into the world 
as part of the sinful human race. But you don't back off from that argument. You press that claim that the heavens declare the glory of God because it's true. Regardless of if men reject it or don't accept the argument or come up with clever ways of trying to refute it, which, of course, on further examination, are not clever at all, a subject for another time. That is one way in which God reveals His glory. And it is magnificent. But, He makes Himself more clearly and fully known to us by His holy and divine Word. Look at those modifying words here in the Confession. He makes Himself more clearly known by His holy and divine Word. Because there's a sense in which the creation is vague about all of the details, even about His own being God, right? And even about His almighty power. And even about His authority over all of His creation and His holiness. A a vagueness which is not present at all in the Word of God. Because like if you look out at the creation, right? I mean, clearly it is a reflection of the glory and the power of God and of His righteousness and holiness. But it doesn't like say that exactly. When the psalm says that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies preach the work of His hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Are the, is the creation actually speaking words? I mean, you don't hear trees talking, right? Obviously it's poetic imagery, but the fact that it's poetic imagery causes us to recognize that there's a little bit of a lack of clarity or the speech could be more precise and more demanding and more convicting and piercing, right? And that is exactly what the Word of God does because it not only says, look at what He's made, but it says, I am the Lord. I alone am God and I am to be worshipped. I am the Almighty One and no one can respond to me. All of what I have created is for my glory and I am righteous and holy. When the prophets come into contact with the Lord, for instance, it's not just some vague hearing of conscience that leaves them with the impression that God is holy, but when they see the Lord and then they communicate to us that they have seen Him, they cry out to us that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. It's much more clear than even what we would receive from the creation. From Hebrews 1 again, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So not only, we can see, does God's Word make more clear to us the things that the creation also shows us, but also it makes, the Word makes God more fully known. That's the other uh, modifying word there, right? The Word makes God more fully known. There are things that we learn about God that are not accessible to us, even if we could properly interpret the creation if we hadn't fallen into sin. Uh, The Word is more specific. Think about Psalm 19. It moves from talking about general revelation... That's the creation to special revelation to the Word. 
Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You see, the Word of God makes the truths about God more specific, more full. It gives us more detail, more richness, reveals to us more of the glories of God, of His character, things about Him, how He relates to His creatures that go about in His world. These, this Word of God is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, Keeping them, there is great reward. The ordinance of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. He makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. All scripture, Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen, is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As wonderful and as glorious as the creation is, as a revelation of God's character to us, the Scripture is much more clear about who He is, much more useful for all of the details of our lives, conforming our minds to the thoughts that He has about Himself as He reveals them to us. For teaching, think about that, rebuking. So not just a generic, vague sense of right and wrong, but explicit revelation of God and telling you what's right and telling you what's wrong. So you don't have to guess. You don't have to be subject to the whims of, of men. Correcting, training in righteousness. You don't learn about the truth of the Trinity from the creation, do you? You learn about that from the revelation of God's Word. You don't learn about how to be saved, do you, from the creation? I mean, imagine somebody who by common grace has enough sense to look around them and to acknowledge that there's a God who exists and that He is holy and that He's almighty and that He's a judge and that they are sinful and that they're going to have to answer to the judge. Well, how are they going to hear uh, the knowledge of their salvation? The point is that the, the Scripture is the only place to reveal Christ and how men must be saved. That's not found out in the creation alone. Now, most of this is second nature for us. These are the objective means by which God has revealed Himself. It's good to be reminded that we are to follow them and not our own devices. But let's apply it. Let's apply this idea that God speaks through the creation and through the Word uh, to our own church environment, to our own religious landscape today. Let me first of all read to you from Hebrews chapter 2 at the beginning of that chapter. You don't need to turn there. You can if you'd like. It's quite clear what the author is saying. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, and there he's talking about under the Old Testament law, the Mosaic Law was revealed, right? And it had stipulations. If you live your life this way, this will happen to you. But if you get out of line, say, in this particular way, maybe you would be stoned, right? If there are two or three witnesses. So, so I want you to think about that. In the Old Testament times, 
God gave His law. He revealed Himself in His Word to Moses. He gave the Israelites a law. And if they disobeyed it, they would receive a harsh punishment in some cases, right? If that was true, the author of Hebrews says, how shall we, and the we is, all of us who are in the New Covenant community, the New Covenant church, how shall we escape God's punishment if we ignore a great salvation? Meaning, if we ignore the actual breaking into history of the Lord Jesus Christ to live and to die and to be raised from the dead as the head of His New Covenant Church, if we thought a punishment was bad before Christ came for people who resisted God's revelation, when you consider that Christ is the exact representation of God's being, the one who came into the world to die for His people, when you consider that He has now revealed Himself and we know more things about God than we have ever known before and we have closer contact with heaven than we have ever had before, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, by Jesus Himself, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. And God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Seeing a look, we heard the eyewitness testimony as we're examining in the Gospel of Luke and now in the second volume of that in, in the book of Acts. We have heard the testimony of the eyewitnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ and also to the truth of the Christian faith as demonstrated by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit like miraculous speaking in tongues, which we'll see in Acts things which happened at a particular time in the history of redemption, okay? For the authentication of the power and the authority of Christ in the world. Of course, if we neglect this Christ, what do you imagine will come upon us? It would be a worse punishment than those who rejected the same message of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone that the Old Testament saints heard under shadowy forms. Two things about that. First of all, the urgency of listening to the speech of God. Okay? When God speaks, it is absolutely urgent that we conform our minds and our hearts to what He says. Especially given the fact that we live in the New Covenant era and things have been made more clear and more plain to us. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the eyewitnesses and those to whom they reported, recorded for us the truth of God's character and majesty and salvation to us. It is urgent that we pay attention to the Word. But second, I want you to think also about this idea that God was speaking in history through His divine Word at a certain time and then He stopped. When we say that God has revealed Himself in His creation and they are still speaking, the creation is still speaking, that means it's still testifying to what it can about the true God. When we say that God spoke through His Word, we're careful to say He spoke through His Word in that He is done speaking. He was careful to accompany His speech by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit while He was speaking in that way. 
And what we have today is the closed speech of God. Now, why am I getting into all that? Well, first of all, when you say that you believe God reveals Himself by creation and by the Word of God, one of the implications of that is going to have to be that you say that God is not speaking anymore in the ways that He used to in the past. And I am sick of religious teachers, and not just religious teachers, but really anyone who starts to say things like they are receiving direct revelation from God. He has spoke, He has has spoken in His Word and He has spoken in the creation and He is not speaking anymore in those ways to individuals. God did not tell you anything. Stop saying that. Stop binding people's consciences. Right? God spoke to you, did He? Well, I know the God that spoke to us in the past when He established the prophetic office set up a test so that I would know. And he said, the prophet will say, this is going to happen and you will know, Israelite people, if he's a true prophet of God and the words that he's speaking come from me, then what he said is going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then you stone him because he's a liar. And I know that the God who spoke to us in the New Testament spoke through Christ His Son who walked in our world and whose authority and truth was authenticated by the various miracles and signs and wonders that abounded in the early church as the apostles were going forth in the name and the power of Christ. So I can have confidence when the apostles and the prophets and Christ on into the New Covenant Church is speaking or there are claims being made about His speech because it's demonstrated. Don't come to God's people and say that God told you something. Don't stand for religious teachers who claim to hear from God. That is preposterous. Oh yeah, we grow up in this time in church history where, wow, do you really want to come off that strongly? Because aren't there all those groups that uh, claim to uh, continue to have the Holy Spirit at work in the ways that He was at work in the early church? And boy, that's pretty strong. Doesn't uh, a pastor have a pipeline to, to God and so that he uh, can hear these uh, new things that God has in His plans for His church? The answer is no. I don't care how popular it is today. These crazy, kooky, sectarian groups that spring up at various times throughout the history of the church. I don't care how in vogue they are today or are yesterday or will be tomorrow. God has spoken in His Word. And it's not open for dispute whether or not He spoke. He has spoken. It is objectively revealed. It is true. We can verify what anybody says about the speech of God right here. You've got to watch out. You've got to stop tolerating. Stop listening to these people. Please, dear ones. I don't know where it happened in the history of our confessionally reformed churches that we decided one day it was okay to engage our minds with teachers and television preachers and radio preachers who would have the audacity to say that they've heard from God. And I'm not talking about the craziest, most radical ones, but even the common popular ones of today, where it's okay to entertain their thought. Oh, you know, he's... God. No, this is, this is ridiculous. You either believe in the objective revelation of God and you hold faithful to it, and maybe you, you, know, you have some experience where you perceive that God is working on your conscience and maybe you've projected that in some voice or something. You're going to have to explain your religious experience different from a direct revelation from God, because that's not what's happening according to His Word. 
So watch out for all that garbage. Please don't do it yourself. Now, there's a more subtle way that this happens, okay? A a subtle way in which we end up sort of undermining the authority of the revealed Word of God. And this is when some religious teachers will say things that people find to be very helpful, but it doesn't come from God's Word. But there's no real clear distinction a lot of times between what is God's Word and what their opinion is. I'm going to say that again. Preachers from pulpits who will say things that people find to be very helpful, and indeed they may be very helpful for, for some things in life, but what they are saying doesn't come from God's Word. It's a pious advice. It's a practical tips for fill in the blank, balance the checkbook, fix the marriage, get the kids to be quiet, this or that political thing. No clear distinction between what the Word of God says and what somebody comes up with, good or bad. And what happens? People's consciences get bound. When the vast majority of what is proclaimed from a pulpit is really not the Word of God. It's not a a clear expounding of what the Word of God actually says, but the Word may be a, a platform for somebody's opinions, somebody's strong convictions about how something should go. Maybe they find a thematic idea and then that will just find something in the Scripture to sort of defend it and launch out from there. That is not acceptable. That is a a subtle getting away from the clear authority of God's Word and really what God's people need to hear and putting in its place something that binds people's consciences. Now, a lot of times, of course, people will surround themselves with that kind of teaching because they happen to agree with that of those kinds of opinions that they are receiving, but you see the danger in that even? You say, oh, some of that is harmless, you know. No, it's not, because what about if some other people don't agree with that approach to that issue or certain topic? Well, then their consciences are bound. And the point is that in that case, nobody's receiving the actual Word of God anyway. I mean, don't we think that in our preaching, what we want to hear is the Word and not what somebody thinks? about what might be helpful to us. That kind of preaching anesthetizes people to the real Word of God, which is what is really necessary. And if you're going to believe the Scripture and believe that God objectively reveals Himself in that Word and that He's spoken, then what you want to hear is that Word. And you don't want to have your conscience bound even by yourself. If the Word of God doesn't say something, then don't make it a matter of moral principle for yourself. If you're facing some decision, people always ask, you know, I want to know the will of God. As if the only righteous avenue to go is to have God somehow give you a clear path, and if you don't follow that, then you're sinful. Well, look, life is not always that easy, is it? Because God has spoken in His Word, and He does not address every practical situation that we face in our life. That's just a fact. And God is not deficient in His understanding of what we need. He knows what we need. And when you're making decisions... Obey the law of God and do what you want to do. And please don't speak to other people and bind their conscience about what you think they must do. And don't judge people when they do things that you might not think is 
this or that, but you can't point to anything in the Word of God which would show that they're in sin. Don't do that. Undermines the Word of God. Two more, quickly. Also, stop expecting God to speak where He does not speak. This goes along with what we said. You know, people got to spend less time looking for God to answer specific questions that they don't understand in their lives and spend more time concentrating on what He reveals in His Word. And like I say, when you, when you follow that pattern, then you just do what you want to do. You walk through the doors that the Lord opens to you. And you don't have pressure that somehow you're going to fail God if you don't figure out all the secrets of everything that He wants you to do. Don't expect God to speak where He doesn't speak. Of course, we're always sensitive to our consciences, right? Our consciences guided by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, applying it in particular situations, maybe. It's not good to violate conscience, which is informed by the Scripture, hopefully. It's not good to grieve that Holy Spirit who may be putting pressure on us to make one decision or another in a particular matter. Uh, But don't expect uh, the kinds of miracles and the direct revelation of God that just doesn't happen right now. You're going to get to see Jesus, but it's not right now. And we'll close with this. Uh, It is not a healthy respect for God's revelation and for His, in the creation and especially in the Scripture, it is not a healthy respect for that Word of God when we see, and it's so common today, people appointed by various groups to teach from that Bible about the sacred things of God, for example, leading Bible studies, when these people are not appointed by Christ to do that with His Word. Nor, in most cases, are people that are in these positions trained to teach from the Word of God, nor are they supervised by any elders whom Christ Himself has given His power and wisdom of ruling and oversight to. And we treat the Word of God like it doesn't really belong to Him and like He doesn't really commit it to those whom He has entrusted to teach it and to preach it. And to defend it. Let me say this again. It is not a healthy respect to the revealed Word of God, which is true, when people who are appointed by various groups teach about the sacred things. For example, lead Bible studies. They are not appointed by Christ to do so. I mean, just read the Scripture. As we'll see the unfolding of the New Testament church. You know, it's fascinating. One of the things I want you to be thinking about as we're reading through Acts is, look at all that is popular in churches today and just ask a very basic question. Where in the Bible do we see any of it? I mean, really. People go to great lengths to defend, this even happens in Reformed churches, great lengths to defend the right way of doing X, Y, and Z, all the while unwilling to ask the question, is X, Y, and Z ever revealed to us in Scripture as something that God planned or wants for His church or something that uh, obviously attended the apostolic ministry in the early church. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of uh, various groups who are teaching about sacred things who are not appointed by Christ to do so, 
Certainly many of them are not trained to do so. None of you would ever go to a doctor who is not trained. I don't care what you think of traditional medical training or not. Even if you believe in holistic medicine, you wouldn't go to a doctor who didn't believe in holistic medicine. Whatever your standard is, you would never go to a doctor with your body who is not trained. But people just wholesale today, go to belong to various groups, and they're taught about the sacred things and led in Bible studies by people who have not been appointed by Christ to do so and not trained to do so under the supervision of Christ through elders whom He has appointed and given the apostolic power and ruling authority to. I really think that that is a challenge to the Word of God, to, the, to holding it dear in our church culture today. God speaks through His creation. He speaks through His Word. It's not open to debate who He is. He makes it clear to us. Would He give us grace to rightly uphold that Word, to love Him and serve Him better as we're directed and instructed by it. To that, God's people says, Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, which is true. Your Word, the poetic sense in all of the creation, displays Your glory. We know that full well. We thank You for Your a written Word, inspired by Your Spirit, and now given to us. Thank You that we may have it in writing, translated in our own language, that we may be edified when we read it. Thank You that when it is preached, Your Spirit attends to it with a special promise to instruct us and to encourage and sanctify us. Would we value Your Word? Uh, would we not uh, seek to hear from You where You don't speak? Would You restrain uh, the lips of those who preach Your Word from inserting their own opinions, which is vanity? Lord, would You restrain those who uh, desire to uh, open Your Word to others who are not trained to do so, so that we would not be led astray? Help us to be discerning. And uh, Lord, would every man uh, be lessened uh, Lord, keep us uh, very humble when we point away from ourselves and uh, to Christ, who is true. For we pray in His name. Amen.